Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selig, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call the seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome to episode two of the Seven Hats podcast. My name is Yuval Selick, and I'm your host. In our first episode, I told you the story of my days growing up in New York, leading to my decision to leave it all behind and venture out to Los Angeles to begin my new journey into the unknown. I was a starry-eyed 29-year-old boy with big dreams and a sense of adventure. And the irony is, my parents were about the same age where they left everything that they've built in Israel to follow their American dreams back in 1982. So when I arrived in LA, I decided to take a couple of months off and figure things out before looking for work and finding my own place to live. I fell in love with Los Angeles right away. The weather, the people, the scenery, the food, the beaches, and of course, the Ugg boots and winter jackets in 80 degree weather. I fell in love with all of it. There are so many things to be grateful for during my first few months in Los Angeles. However, Enjoying quality time with my parents and sister are my most precious memories. My sister is one of my life travelers. Her name is Yael, and she's six years my junior. We had a very close relationship as children. However, as we grew older, we grew apart. So when my family moved back to the U.S. from Italy, where they were residing for work, I jumped at the opportunity to rekindle my relationship. Our dilemma? was that Yael was heartbroken due to a recent breakup with an Italian fellow by the name of Gastone. Gastone and her frolicked around Italy for several years, and the breakup was still very raw for her. Of course, I tried to make her feel better by shifting her state, but nothing worked. When Yael told stories of their time together, the only gift, in my mind, that Gastone bestowed upon her was introducing my sis to yoga and meditation. And, being the all-optimistic brother that I am, I concluded that getting her back to meditating and contorting her body will get the job done. So I took it upon myself to show her the way to spiritual enlightenment in La La Land. I mean, we were in the mecca of the New Age spiritual movement after all, right? But Houston, we have a problem. I had zero knowledge of yoga, meditation, crystals, or spirituality. However, a guy I met a couple years back would be my saving grace in helping me heal my sister from the Gastoni Blues. Who was that man? Well, let's go back a couple years to my New Jersey apartment at around 3 a.m. to find out. I was watching TV late one night, and all of a sudden, this charismatic guy named Tony Robbins popped up on an infomercial. I've never heard of this guy before. However, I was captivated. If you knew me back then, this wouldn't be a shock, though. I was one of those weird humans who just loved infomercials. Total Jim? Sure, Chuck Norris. George Foreman Grill, I'll take two. Ronco Formula Number no. 9 Spray on Hair, that was on repeat in my apartment. And who could forget Don LaPree, Making Money Secrets, just one tiny classified ad. Now that 
was brilliant marketing. I'll stop here because I could go on and on. So why am I telling you this? Well, as many people have proclaimed after watching Tony, like them, he changed my life. He was my mentor and one of the reasons I had the courage to move to Los Angeles on a whim. He also introduced me to Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra, who ignited my own spiritual path. So when my sister needed my help, I drowned myself in the only two spiritual mentors I knew. I started reading their books and listening to their CDs and in turn began my spiritual evolution that became my rock when I needed it most. See, in life, when you help others achieve success, you inevitably shape your own destiny and become better, stronger, and evolve in the process. And so, my sister and I went on a quest to find the best yoga teachers in LA. We ended up finding a couple of amazing studios and started going regularly. And as much as we enjoyed the shift that was happening, this was only the stepping stone to our next greatest adventure. And that was shaped by our next shift changer, the man we call Atma, Atmananda Das. But before we meet him, I must tell you the next sequence of events for some context. After a couple of months of living the LA lifestyle, going to yoga, meditation, the beach, hanging with new friends, spending quality time with my family, it was time to get back to the real world and start writing my next chapter. Meaning, my parents were getting tired of me mooching off of them. Meaning, I need to go find a job and a place to live. So I started sending out my resume and received an offer from Hewitt, a benefits consulting firm in Costa Mesa, California. I also found a beautiful apartment complex close to the beach and a 10-minute commute. Things were starting to fall into place as I was getting situated in my day-to-day life in Costa Mesa and my job at Hewitt. Until one day I received an unexpected call from my mom that altered my life forever. Yuval, she said, I want to ask you a question. Are you open to meeting someone new? Just as a friend, of course, she proceeded to tell me. Her name is Ala Karat, and she's an actress. She was famous on a couple of soaps in the 90s, Another World and All My Children. So what do you say? Do you want to meet her? Now, I don't know about your mom, but my mom didn't have a great track record in matchmaking. And in this case, she was actually acting as a co-matchmaker, which was even riskier. Her co-conspirator? was a woman named Sophia, who unexpectedly saw my high school prom photo when visiting my parents, and then ran to the bathroom with photo in hand to call Alice's parents ecstatic, and to tell them that Alice Prince Charming had finally arrived in Los Angeles, horse carriage and all. Meanwhile, Sophia knew nothing about me. Talk about a blind matchmaker. So, back to my conversation with my mom. No, mom, I don't want to be set up, and I definitely don't want to be set up with an actress. And that was that. But do you think that was sufficient to stop my mom from pursuing her matchmaking initiatives? No. She doubled down and enrolled my sister. And for the next few weeks, I was forced into submission and finally said, okay, just friends, give me her number. Ali and I spoke for the first time about a week later, and our conversation flowed for at least a couple of hours. We clicked as people. We had a lot in common and found each other so interesting. After speaking on the phone for about a month, I finally broke down and said, okay, let's meet. Let's just get this over with. And our first date was set. 
I drove an hour and a half in L.A. traffic to pick Ala up in West Hollywood where she lived. I still remember her coming down the hill with her pink dress and feeling a jolt that I never experienced before. It was subtle, but powerful. I made reservations at a cozy romantic spot called La Paella, close to her place. It was an interesting dinner. I'm not sure Ala knew what to make of me. I did most of the talking and shared my entrepreneurial dreams that never really materialized. So in her mind, she was most likely thinking, yes, sure. Good luck with your dreams, buddy. You're a real entrepreneur. Of course, she didn't voice that out loud. She just nodded her head and listened to me go on and on. I, on the other hand, thought the evening went fantastic. I mean, who doesn't want to hear me blabbing all about my nifty creative ideas? Who cares if they didn't materialize? So at the end of the evening, I drove Ala back home and said goodnight. And at that moment, I asked her for a hug. I'm not sure why. I just did. And she looked at me with a bit of hesitation. She smiled and said, sure. And when we hugged, something again shifted. It was subtle, but powerful. There's a lot to share about our courtship, which I will in future episodes with Ala when she joins me. But for now, our timeline went like this. First date, I'm full of myself. Ala is a bit turned off, but I hug her anyway. I convince her to go out with me again, so on date number two, I pull out all the stops and bring my sister to the date. And this time, I let my sister charm Ala and do all the talking. I kept my mouth shut, which is quite the challenge for me. Ala didn't know what to make of my silence, but was completely enamored with my sis. Date number three, I asked her to visit me for the weekend in Costa Mesa. She said yes. Date number four, I met up with Ala on her film set, asked her to move in with me. She said yes again. Two weeks later, I proposed. But this time, she said no. Just kidding. She said yes. I guess when you know, you know. Now I'm convinced that my relationship with Ala is karmic. We wed on August 29, 2004, just shy of 17 years now. And we are still happily married. That's not to say that it was easy, or we didn't have difficulties. We did. We have been through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. So one weekend, Ala and I visit my parents, who are still sparkling with the engagement news, and my sister walks in, radiating with excitement. The craziest thing just happened to me. You'll never believe it, she tells us. Okay, now she's got our attention. And so she goes on to tell us the story. She was looking for a new yoga teacher online and stumbled on an ad from this guy named Atma. So she made plans to meet him in what she thinks is his yoga studio. She gets there, parks her car, and proceeds to find his place. Now, I think she was a bit thrown off and confused as this was a Hare Krishna community in the middle of Venice with no traditional yoga studio in sight. Just a bunch of saffron robe-wearing monks walking around with a tiny ponytail popping out of their bald heads. Still. She finds the address and knocks on the door. No one answers. So she knocks again. Crickets. Okay, but for some reason, she decides to wait a few minutes in the dark to see if he shows up. A few minutes go by, and no Atma. So she decides to leave. Obviously, this was not meant to be. Now mind you, my sister is in the middle of a Hare Krishna community in pitch dark. I, myself, will be out of there. But what does she do? Yell decides to sit in her car and wait a bit longer. Ten minutes go by, and she's startled by a knock. A guy with a tattooed head 
points his finger, directing her to roll down the window. What does she do? She rolls down the window. The guy asks her, Are you Yael? Yes. Are you Atma? Yes. Yael says, Do you know that I was ready to leave 15 minutes ago? But something kept me here. We almost didn't meet. But they did. And the rest, as they say, is history. See, looking back, it's amazing how the universe will facilitate serendipitous events or even divine interventions that shape our entire life. If Yael left at the time when every sane person would have left if they were in her situation, I would not be speaking with you today. And that's how it works when you connect the dots backwards. So Atma convinced my sister to take his first yoga teacher training course in some attic somewhere within the Hare Krishna compound. Only a handful of students actually enrolled, but a few months later, she was one of his first certified teachers. Now, Ala and I are living in my apartment in Costa Mesa. Life seemed normal as we were preparing for our wedding, but that was about to change quickly. So one day, when visiting with Yael, she told us all about this incredible transformation she experienced with Atma and urged us to take his class. At first, I was skeptical. This was not the traditional commercial yoga studio I was used to. It was at a Hare Krishna community. To us, that sparked up a bunch of red cult flags. But as she continued to tell us about Atma in the class, it was apparent that we should at least meet him. So, we arranged a meeting at Govinda's Cafe next door to the Hare Krishna temple. As Atma approached us, we felt a spiritual kinship to this man. It's hard to describe. He was charming, beaming with light, incredibly smart, authentic, and just kind. So we fell hook, line, and sinker and registered for his second yoga teacher course that afternoon. Imagine this. Ala and I just got engaged, together for just barely two months. We commit to an intensive yoga and spirituality course where we commute from Costa Mesa to Los Angeles every weekend for two months from 9 to 5. And at that time, we couldn't have known how profound this experience would be for us and how it would shape the rest of our lives forever. So over the next two months, we learned all about the origins of yoga. We studied yoga and meditation techniques, and we were introduced to powerful mantras. And one day, we actually performed partnered open-eye meditation for six hours straight. Now that was a trip. Newlyweds for two months. Ala and I are staring into each other's eyes for six hours while performing unique and difficult breathing exercises simultaneously. Okay, I've dated women before meeting Ala. I can tell you for a fact that I would have been creeped out if I had to gaze into their eyes for six hours straight. But with Allah, it was easy. And that's the reason we had the experience. It was to show us the deep connection that we have for one another that is beyond the physical realm. All of that was an amazing experience and shaped much of our spiritual practice over the years. But there were two pivotal and monumental moments in this class. The first was when Atma named us. See, we were sitting around a conference table with the rest of the group at one of our sessions, and Atma looks at me, then looks at Allah, and says out loud in excitement, You're Yuvala. He goes on to point his finger at me and says, Your name is Yuval, and then points to Allah and says, Your name is Allah, and together, Yuval and Allah are Yuvala. Everyone just lost it. It was an incredible moment in our lives. We later came to understand the meaning behind the combined names. See, in Hebrew, Yuval means flowing river, and Allah is a Russian name. 
but has origins from ancient Arabic and Greek as a goddess or divine spirit. So together, the meaning of our combined names is flowing river to the divine spirit. Crazy, huh? The second pivotal moment was when I conceived the vision of a wellness center we aptly named Yuvala. I mean, can it get any better than a wellness center named Flowing River Divine? The concept was an urban center that merges the best of Eastern spiritual practices and Western healing modalities. A never-before-seen technological marvel that engaged all five senses is the experience within its walls. See, I saw a vision clearly in my mind. I was finally ready to quit the corporate rat race and become a bona fide entrepreneur like my dad so many years back. The only problem? I had no money, no experience, no team, no business plan, just a dream and a glimmer of hope that we will all see this marvel materialize someday. See, right there, I made the decision that I was going to go for it. Win, lose, or draw. And for the first time in our relationship, Allah made the commitment to support me on this business. And together, we went all in. I was scared. This was huge. As you remember from my first date with Allah, I was a entrepreneur. But the notion of transitioning over to an entrepreneur messed with my head. And looking back, I was completely naive. And I think it was a good thing that I was. If I knew what it actually takes to birth a business, let alone make it successful, I don't know if I would have done it. If it wasn't for those who believed in me and pushed me to take the first step, I might have continued to live the safe entrepreneurial life. Hey, it's easy to have your dreams and never take steps to materialize them. You always succeed in your dreams, and it's a safe bet. But when you actually take the leap, you quickly realize the roller coaster ride you just harnessed yourself in. Six Flags? That's kids' play. And at this point, I had announced my decision to begin Yuvala, so there was no turning back. And the one story that gave me the courage not to turn back and quit was the story I heard way back of Walt Disney and the grand opening of Epcot Center. It goes like this. On an opening day at Epcot Center, a newspaper reporter interviewed Roy Disney, Walt's brother, and said to him, This must be a bittersweet day for you. Roy looked at him and asked, Why do you say that? The reporter responded, Well, it's such an amazing park, and this was Walt's biggest dream. So now that Epcot is open, and it looks amazing. It's such a shame that Walt didn't live to see it. So Roy pauses for a minute. He looks the reporter dead in the eyes and said, My brother did see it. That's why we're standing here today. And you're seeing it now. See, if you're an entrepreneur listening to me and you have a vision, a dream, a calling, remember this story. We need you to follow through and bring your vision to life. Don't just think about it. Let's get started. And know that you have a community of crazy entrepreneurs on your side rooting you on as you strap yourself in on your roller coaster journey. See, a few months before our wedding, we decided to move back to Los Angeles and give up our Costa Mesa apartment. I gave my notice to Hewitt and I got a job at Union Bank in Glendale, which was a 20 minute commute from our condo. And as soon as we moved, Ala recruited her friends Vicky and Dimitri to write the business plan for Yuvala. I will never forget the months it took to write the plan. We had such an amazing time. We met so many interesting characters along the way, and Ala, our social butterfly, was responsible for bringing them into our lives. 
Here's an example. One day, Ala comes home and tells me that she met a guy named Kiran, her bank teller at our local Citibank branch. This guy literally just came from Nepal and was one of the top understudies of Osho, who was a very famous Indian spiritual guru in the Himalayas. Now, why was Kiran working at Citibank? I don't know. Divine intervention? Maybe. And since we were going to create a meditation experience at the center, Ala recruited him. And now, Kiran was our director of meditation. Okay, one more quick story of Kiran. This guy was a character. See, he would come over every night after his shift at Citibank and help us create meditation practices for the center. And one night, he's demonstrating a breathing meditation to Dimitri and me and nearly passes out. Once he comes to, he says, don't worry, it happens all the time. Needless to say, we skipped that version for our center. I don't think Dimitri and I will ever forget that moment. Okay, now we have a team. Vicky, Dimitri, Ala, Kiran, and myself. And as we continue drafting the business plan, we met Zaira and Skip, who are experts in the spy industry. I don't remember how we were introduced, but I do remember us sitting around our living room table when we first met. Both Skip and Zaira staring at me, bewildered as I passionately describe the wellness center of my dreams. Okay, guys, the concept revolves around a 40,000-square-foot facility, four floors, two underground and two above. And when entering the facility, the members would embark on a circular centerpiece filled with sand and a pendulum suspended from the second floor. The pendulum is moving along the Earth's rotational pole. A circular seating area would match the circular dimensions of the centerpiece. And this would be a space for members to socialize, drink organic tea, and spend some time relaxing before or after class and the treatment. To the left would be a five-star organic cafe, and to its right, a gift shop. Now a level down, we would find a yoga and meditation space, consisting of four rooms that split it with walls that could open up to one large auditorium. I want each wall to be immersive in 360-degree video and fragrance technology so that everyone can be transported anywhere in the world as they practice yoga and meditation. And the lowest level would encompass the full-scale spa with crystal grotto, mineral pools, and soaking baths in varying temperatures and colors, a large saltwater community pool, and your traditional saunas and steam room. And the top level will contain all the treatment rooms for facials and massages and include an outdoor open area with lush grass, palm trees, and fire pits. Now, at this point, Skip turns to me with his 30 years of experience and asks, don't you think that's a bit ambitious? Maybe you can start with a smaller version of this concept. Do you really need a 40,000 square foot facility? Maybe 10,000 would suffice? And to that, I said, nope, it has to be special. Otherwise, I'm not doing it. It will just be like everyone else's studio. So after a couple of hours, I had them enrolled. You know, one of the most important aspects to leadership, especially for founders, you need to be able to enroll people in your dreams. People need to believe in you. And you need the skills to build out a great team who will follow you to the ends of the earth. So Skip was really instrumental in helping us with the financials of the plan. He literally built out the entire financial model. The final price tag for building this Los Angeles center back in 2004, was, drumroll, $26 million. And as a first-time founder, I was so naive and therefore confident 
that it would be an easy road to securing a couple of investors to take the leap with me. So we finished writing the business plan, printed, bound, beautiful, crisp, and now ready to shop around. And the one person I was eager to show the plan to was Joe, a very successful businessman and a friend of Allah's. I asked him to look it over and he agreed. So I sent him the plan and scheduled a meeting at his house for his feedback. In the morning of the meeting, I woke up so excited. I was sure that he was going to love it and invest himself. So you can imagine the drive with Allah down to Orange County, where he lives, was filled with excitement. So we get there, we're sitting outside, and I ask him, what did you think? Now, Joe is a very intimidating guy, especially to a first-time founder. Uh, He used to play pro hockey, and I gotta be honest, he looked the part. So he picks up the business plan and literally throws it across the table at me and says, I don't need to read this fucking thing. You're not prepared. No investor will take you seriously. Okay, Allah is now on the verge of tears and his wife Ina is flabbergasted. I didn't flinch and I asked him, why would you say that if you didn't read the plan? He said, if you were a real businessman, you would have come to me with a full feasibility study of your customers and expected behavior. You would have an architectural rendering of the physical space and a plot of land. Who gives a shit about your grand idea and your business plan? I want to know that it will succeed, and I want proof. And at that moment, we stopped talking about the business plan, and shortly thereafter, Allah and I were arguing in the car on the ride home. Now, Allah is a Scorpio and very protective of those she loves. I'm not sure why she didn't explode at the meeting, but on the ride home, she was pissed. How could he? Who does he think he is? She's yelling at me. Our relationship is over. And I'm screaming back, no, no, you don't understand. He just told us what to do to become successful. You have no idea. He just lit the fire in me. I'll show him. And I remember Tony Robbins when he said, if you model those who are successful, you will have a better chance of success yourself. And Joe was successful. Allah, this is gold. Please don't be mad at him, I said. This is the chance to improve. And, and then I uttered the following words, which came to bite me in the ass so many times throughout our relationship. I said, Allah, let's take our wedding savings and follow Joe's advice. Let's commission a national feasibility study and hire an architect to develop a 3D rendering walkthrough. This is what we need to get funding. I promise. Joe makes sense. Just trust me. Now, please don't ask me how or why, but she supported me. And we borrowed some money from her parents, commissioned a feasibility study, and contracted with a local architect to create a 3D rendering. And in turn, we used up every cent of our savings. Ready? A total of $43,000. We were so scared to spend that much money on a feasibility study especially without knowing how the results would come out. I can't tell you how many nights I woke up in sweat, thinking that the study will fall flat and everyone will hate the concept. Poof! $43,000 down the drain. Based on some solid referrals, though, we contracted the Hartman Group. Listen, we don't play small, right? To survey 810 consumers in the LA metro area. The sample was divided into two groups, the first being yoga participants and the other spa users. And after weeks of anticipation, we get the email. 
The results are finally in. My heart is now racing. And I can't, I can't do it. I'm keeping quiet in case of bad news. I open the PDF attachment and start scrolling through the 61-page report. What? This can't be real. Our test group stated that they would spend an average of $193 per month and travel up to 30 minutes each way if we open up the center. I run over to Allah and hug her. We did it. We proved our concept. Now, this was 2005. Back then, $100 for an Equinox subscription was insane. We were going to take over the yoga and spa world, and we celebrated accordingly. And the rendering? That came in soon thereafter. And it was incredible. Kevin masterfully created the center based on spiritual geometry. Everyone who saw the walkthrough was blown away. And back in those days, a full architectural drawing and a rendering would probably have cost us over 100000 if done by an architectural firm. So with the business plan, rendering, and study in hand, I enroll my first business partner, an executive from Bally's Total Fitness, and our new CFO from Houston, Texas. And after executing on Joe's advice and now with a full executive team, I ventured off to find investors. And as you can imagine, every investor I approached said yes. Yeah, right. Most investors I approached wouldn't even speak to me. And those who did said no. So for the next four months, I probably approached over 30 investors as I heard no after no after no after no. I was devastated. I just spent around $70,000 to get to this point. The data showed immense interest and success. Everything was thought out. But after so much disappointment, I had no sense of hope that anything will turn around. So I called my CFO, and the conversation that ensued changed the trajectory of my life yet again. He said, Yuval, you've been trying to raise $26 million for months now, and I didn't want to really burst your bubble, but it's not going to happen. How about this? Start by raising something. Raise the first million. Then we can discuss raising the rest. And that conversation really hit home and stuck with me as I went to sleep that night. And when I awoke the next morning, I had an epiphany. But before I share this epiphany, a bit of a backstory. A few months back, Al and I visited LOHA's 10, a conference created by Ted Ning. LOHA's stands for Life of Health and Sustainability, and this conference was huge in the natural, organic, and sustainable space. Ted was a pioneer and one of my heroes and mentors. So why were we there? Well, we were looking for products that we can offer at the Uvala Spa and decided only to offer natural and organic skincare. So networking at LOHA's was a natural fit. But before the show, we were introduced to a small factory in the south of France. And we absolutely fell in love with them. They were everything we wanted in a factory. The founder only used the highest quality natural and organic skincare ingredients. Every product contained the most insane pure essential oils. They were certified by the most stringent organic certification in the world. This checked all the boxes we were looking for. So we contacted their U.S. representative and set up a meeting at Loja's where the rep would be attending. And I'll never forget Allah's expression and statement when she tried a couple of those samples at home that were sent to her by the U.S. rep before our meeting at the Loja's event. She was in the bathroom at our condo, and I was watching TV in the living room. And Alice spread the products on her face for the first time. And then she screams, Oh my God, we have to put our name on this. 
And after that statement, there was no looking back. And once at that LOHA's meeting, we committed to the factory to create our signature line with them. So back to my epiphany. I wake up in the morning after speaking with my CFO and a light bulb went off. I jump out of bed and grab the blank sheet of paper and drew up a plan on how we were going to raise our first million. See, we were visiting Alice's parents in San Francisco, so I ran down the stairs from our bedroom screaming, I have a plan, I have a plan. And at that moment, Luvala, our retail skincare line, was born. I decided it would be easier to build a skincare brand first, knowing how lucrative the beauty and spa industry was. And with Luvala's success, we would fund our wellness center without needing additional investment. I was going to show all those investors who said no. I mean, L'Oreal was making what? A couple of billion? All I needed was 26 million. No problem. What's that? A couple of years of hard work? We got this. So, I convinced everyone that this was a great idea. And within 48 hours, I raised our first 100K with our first investors. And we officially started the company, traveled to the south of France to meet the factory owner, and negotiated an exclusive deal to develop our proprietary formula for Luvala. We then officially hired my business partner, who took the role of chief operating officer, moved her to Los Angeles, and then raised another million for a total of 1.1 million. Of course, that's a bit misleading. 300,000 was a refinance of our condo, and we borrowed another large chunk from Alice's parents. Oh yeah, we also cashed out of our pension and 401ks, but we were all in. I will never forget the afternoon when Ala and I deposited our first 100K check. I never had that much money in my life. And this was one of the highest of highs thus far on our journey. It seemed as if the stars were aligning. I had just parked in the intersection in front of the bank to deposit our check. Before we were about to step out, I spotted my favorite dream car on the side view mirror. So I turned to Ala and yelled, look, it's my favorite car. Look at this gorgeous Ferrari. It must be a sign. We are well on our way. To which Allah replied, But what about me? Where's my favorite car? And in that exact moment, as that red Ferrari made a full stop at the light, straight across the intersection rolled up a stunning Bentley. Allah's favorite dream car. The timing was uncanny, and we both squealed at the top of our lungs. We were in total shock. It literally felt like Lady Luck was on our side. Now, okay, I know that we're in LA and Ferraris and Bentleys are plentiful. But at the exact time when we uttered those words and facing each other at the intersection, I say the probability is close to zero. And since Ale and I are notorious for paying attention to synchronistic events, for us, this happenstance fueled our hopes and excitement that we were on the path to world domination. Number one organic skincare brand in the country. Here we come. As any entrepreneur will tell you, your company's makings are filled with excitement and so many firsts in your early days. The first time you register your corporation with your state and get your federal identification number. The first time you see your logo, your branding, your packaging. The first time you see your finished product. And of course, the first time somebody takes out their wallet and gives you money in exchange for the value that you provide. But for me, the most rewarding of all was when I quit my job at Union Bank in April of 2005 to pursue my entrepreneurial dreams full-time. I was never my own boss. I remember sleepless nights thinking about what it would be like to make my dreams a reality instead of somebody else's dreams. 
And now, my time had arrived. Luvala was born. The meaning of the brand was never as true for me as it was at that time. See, Luvala means love the divine spirit within, aka love yourself. And it was now time to help our customers do just that by providing a product that was beneficial for their skin, their health, and the planet. So for months, our team worked tirelessly to build the company infrastructure and logistics. As much fun as it was to build a company from the ground up, it was also a daunting task. It meant finding an office, hiring our sales team, writing all the collateral and marketing content, figuring out international shipping logistics and domestic warehousing fulfillment. We had to think about packaging, designs, branding, PR, software, contracts, HR, and of course, the most important item on the list after getting distribution is planning our trade spend initiatives. So what is trade spend? Well, for consumer packaged goods brands referred to as CPG, who go to retail, getting on the shelf is half the battle. The more important task is to stay on the shelf, meaning you have to sell off the shelf. So how do you sell off the shelf when no one knows who you are? Trade spend. Those are the marketing activities that are executed in retail so that the shopper becomes aware of your product and brand. You've seen those tactics before when you're shopping. Price reductions, advertising, in-store demos, merchandising efforts, coupons, displays, and the list goes on. Why am I harping on trade spend? Because it's expensive. Very expensive. Trade spend was our largest expense by far. And being a first-time founder of a CPG brand, I didn't realize at the time the treacherous obstacle course that I was about to embark on. The entire team worked tirelessly for what felt like 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We were preparing for the launch, and it seemed like everything was going wrong. We had shipping issues, software implementation issues, our website was a disaster, and we had a hard time getting the product on the shelf at smaller independent stores. But we figured it out. And finally, our national sales director and brokers were successful in sending in purchase orders from smaller independent stores and chains. But we were hungry for more. For most of 2007, we focused all of our attention on one retailer the retailer that mattered most to us since we launched. And that retailer was Whole Foods Market. After months of busting our asses, sending in requests, calling in favors, we get a call from our national sales directors, Avatar Marketing, who tell us the good news. Jeremiah, the national buyer for HABA, which stands for Health and Beauty Aid at Whole Foods, was intrigued with our brand and committed to presenting it to regional buyers for national rollout. I'll never forget that day. We were so excited. The fact that a national buyer was interested in us validated all our hard work. A few weeks go by, but no word from Jeremiah. We followed up, nothing. So, panic set in. What if the regional buyer said no? What if he changed his mind? But a couple of weeks go by, and we received an email from Jeremiah's office that basically said, thanks, but no thanks. We like your product, however, not every regional buyer was in. What did that mean? It meant that if we wanted to get into Whole Foods, we had to do it region by region. 11 regions, 11 buyer presentations, one by one. We were devastated. We just lost our chance at national distribution. We, we almost had it. So what do we do? We approached Whole Foods region by region by region. And in a few months, we were in eight of the 11 regions and received their premium certification award. 
We also picked up Pharmaca, Sprouts, and most of the other natural and organic chains. I have to give it to our sales team. They were kicking some butt, and we were flying high. Our sales were skyrocketing, and we were sure we would dominate the natural skincare market in no time. We were so enamored by those purchase orders that we reordered over $250,000 of inventory. Let that sink in for a minute. We had plenty of inventory at hand to service our accounts, but our excitement got the best of us. Our projections and financial models allowed us to make this critical mistake that cost us big time. The issue was that we had very little cash in the bank because we were basically buying our distribution and sales through trade spend. Remember what I said earlier? Trade spend was the treacherous obstacle course that we embarked on to get on the shelf and sell our products. Every time we entered a new store, we had slotting fees or free fills as they call it. It's the cost for brands to place their products on retail shelves. And we gave away a ton of free product. Imagine six of each unit. Ouch. That's expensive. We also spent a ton on a national demo program, and not to mention all the discounts, coupons, and ad spend. We literally were an ATM for any retailer, distributor, or broker that needed support. They didn't care much. They just wanted to increase their sales velocity while we paid for it. But looking back, the most egregious mistake we made was not reviewing metrics and key performance indicators, or KPIs. We had no clue which of our promotions were successful and which ones failed us. Later on, I came to find out that 70% of trade promotions are unprofitable, meaning that if a brand did not promote in the first place, they would be better off. And Luvala was part of that statistic. We were failing big time, but had no idea because as cash came in, the cash flowed out. And in life, everything comes to an end at some point. We just didn't know the storm that was brewing at that time. See, our sole focus coming into 2008 was explosive growth. Since we didn't have much cash to continue growing at scale, we decided to raise an additional $2 million for our second round. We had proof of concept. We had market fit. So we were hopeful that raising funds this time would be easier. Boy, were we wrong. Talk about a roller coaster ride. I was inexperienced, naive, and desperate. That's not a good combination for an executive. One day, I was searching online, and voila, an investment firm that looked like a great fit. I emailed one of their managing members, and instantly, they showed interest. He requested that I send a boatload of financials, company docs, product samples. The guy even said that he knows many celebrities that he will try to get testimonials from. And a couple of weeks later, we get a call that they received the samples, and that they asked some of their celebrity friends for feedback, and they received raving reviews. They also complimented us on our success with Whole Foods and the speed of our retail growth. They were excited to move forward and provided us a term sheet. Can you imagine the thrill at the Luvala headquarters? I was right. It was so easy to raise funds. And all we needed to do to get the $2 million in the bank was wire the firm $10,000 for underwriting fees, which we did. I mean, we did our due diligence. We searched online and everything looked legit. We spoke with the guy multiple times and he was asking the right questions. So we thought. Until we didn't hear from him again. And that incident rocked our world. 10K flushed down the toilet. Years later, I received an email from the FBI asking me if I remember the incident. It seems like I wasn't the only desperate sucker looking for funds back then. 
Those guys ran a full operation, and as the FBI agent told me, that firm swindled over $46 million from suckers like me. By spring of 2008, we quickly grew our distribution, but our cash was dangerously low. One day, I'm sitting in my accountant's office. Yuval, what are you doing? He asks me. What do you mean? I reply. Yuval, you're spending too much. You don't have a reserve in case of an emergency. Stop right there, I said. Did you see our sales growth? We're about to get a huge purchase order. All of our customers will be reordering. And I know we can raise funds. And then he said five words that will stay with me for the rest of my life. He said, and I quote, And what if you don't? And I said, Watch me. It will happen. I promise. Don't worry so much. We got this. And I walked out. No matter how hard I tried, I was not successful in raising additional capital. I also continued to see the ugly side of the business world. Another guy named Mike, who came highly recommended, winded up becoming our fundraising matchmaker. After three months and $21,000 later, we ended our short relationship. He was unable to find the perfect investor for us. So at this point, I was at an all-time low. Investors were calling my baby ugly, and it really, really got to me. My opportunities ran dry, and my only hope was an investor who agreed to a meeting after a year of me courting him. We had lunch at a spot in West Hollywood for what was supposed to be a 30-minute meeting. Two hours later, I was elated. The meeting could not have gone better. Our conversation flowed. He loved what we were doing. He had experience in the space. And most of all, he was the kind of guy that was able to plop down two mil and not think too much about it. So at the end of the meeting, I was 100% sure that I found my guardian angel. We stand up after paying the check and shake hands. And I ask, so it looks like you're going to invest in Luvala. The team will be so excited to have you as a strategic partner. He looked me dead in the eyes and stood silent for what must have seemed minutes. And he said, Yuval, I really like what you're doing, and I think you can be successful. But I'm not going to invest at this time. I felt numb, angry, bitter, resentful, and probably 30 other emotions all at the same time. But what could I have done at that moment? So I did the only thing I could. I smiled, and I asked him, Why are you not investing? I thought the meeting went amazing. He also smiled and said, yes, the meeting was great. You have a great product and market. However, you're a first-time founder, and I know you will make many mistakes as you learn to lead and build your company. So I won't let you learn on my dime. Come back in a couple of years, and I'll invest. I wish you much success. And then he walks away. And at that moment, that marked the beginning of my decline. I was lost. My partner and I tried to increase our distribution and sales velocity, but at this point, it was a bit too late to save us from the inevitable black swan event coming our way. The 2008 financial crisis hit us hard. We busted our ass for almost two years building up a national retail brand. And as soon as shoppers stopped buying luxury goods in lieu of budget brands, our sales started to plummet. The large purchase order I was bragging to my accountant about never materialized. We did not raise additional funds, and now retailers were discontinuing our brand from their shelves. And over the next eight months, we lost every major retailer 
including seven of the eight regions of Whole Foods. And what if you don't? The five words uttered by my accountant kept on haunting me, but I was humbled. Of course, the downward spiral had begun. When sales started to decline, we had to cut expenses. And then marketing was the first to go. Without marketing helping to facilitate sales, sales declined. As sales declined, we had to let go of our national sales team and brokers. And to add insult to injury, remember that additional inventory we purchased? Well, $250,000 came due. I guess our optimistic projections were a bit off. Back in 2015, I spoke to a group of entrepreneurs. My topic, the three Ps. Persevere, pivot, or PTP, pull the plug. And my choice back then was to persevere. And over the next couple of years, Ala and I continued to support our local retailers with daily in-store demos and staff training to keep the product on the shelf. No matter what we did, we were still bleeding cash and running out of runway. If at that time we asked Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank for advice, he would have told us that it was time to take this idea back behind the barn and shoot it. And he would have been absolutely correct. But I was stubborn and determined to keep our baby alive. So to pay for our additional inventory and to keep the company afloat, we borrowed money, a lot of money, in order to sustain us. We borrowed $100,000 from Citibank, drove up our credit cards to over $200,000, and borrowed an additional $400,000 from family. All in, we were in the hole for over a million. But in life, sometimes certain lessons are destined, and this was no exception. After two years of grind, a million in debt, and the inability to pay for our credit card's high interest charges, we were at a crossroads. So over the four years since my conversation with my CFO, who told me to raise my first million, Alice screaming, oh my God, we have to put our name on this, creating a national up-and-coming skincare brand, the highs and the lows, the writing was on the wall. The problem is that losing the company was not the only failure staring me in the face. What I realized was that I followed in my dad's footsteps and hyper-focused on building my company neglecting all the other areas of my life. This journey led me to my most painful and surreal memory. One late night, I sat in the corner of my bedroom at Shoreham Towers, embracing a book by Eckhart Tolle, aptly named The New Earth, sobbing uncontrollably, knowing that I'm about to lose everything I worked so hard to achieve in my life. I neglected my marriage, my body, my spirituality, my health, my finances, my relationships, but most importantly, my soul. I neglected myself. My mind was racing, and my only thoughts were of blame. I blamed the universe for not giving me a break. I blamed my business partner who led me down and took advantage of my inexperience for her own gain. But it also taught me one of my greatest lessons, and that is never give your power away even when you don't possess all the experience needed. I also blame the brokers and retailers who took advantage of us. I blame my wife, who lost faith in me and lost her commitment to our marriage. There was no shortage of blame to go around. And at that moment, while embracing a new earth, something happened. My tears dried up, and I made a decision that changed me as a man, a person, and a business leader. 
I ask myself this question. What is it about me that manifested all of this in my life? And as soon as I ask this question, all animosity, blame, regret, anger, and disappointment vanished, at least for a moment. I knew that I wasn't the person I needed to be at that time to manifest the grand dreams that I had envisioned for myself. See, in the book, Eckhart talks about the flowering of human consciousness, and he literally starts his book with the following paragraph. He says, and I quote, Earth, 114 million years ago, one morning, just after sunrise, the first flower ever to appear on the planet opens up to receive the rays of the sun. Prior to this momentous event that heralds an evolutionary transformation in the life of plants, the planet had already been covered in vegetation for millions of years. The first flower probably did not survive for long, and flowers must have remained rare in isolated phenomena since conditions were most likely not yet favorable for widespread flowering to occur. But one day, however, a critical threshold was reached, and suddenly there would have been an explosion of color and scent all over the planet if a perceiving consciousness had been there to witness it. End quote. See, it all made sense. Conditions were not yet favorable for widespread success in my life. The critical threshold was not yet reached. And for the next 10 years, I made it my mission to figure out the man that I needed to become to attract all that I wished to manifest in my dreams. So a few days later, we found ourselves speaking to bankruptcy attorneys, negotiating terms with our creditors, making critical life decisions as in divorce, moving apart, finding a job, and more. I was devastated to lose the love of my life, but I didn't blame her. She risked all of her savings and her parents' investment and put everything on the line for me to support my entrepreneurial dreams. She stood by me since day one, and I neglected her and let her down. So one late morning, on the way to break the news to one of my best friends, I call Allah's father, who I was extremely close with, to beg him not to convince Allah otherwise. I asked that he support her decision to leave. She had every right. I was to meet my friend at 11.30 a.m. at the Santa Monica Seafood Market and Cafe. As I arrived, I get a text letting me know that he was running late with a client and that he will text me when he's done. In the years of our friendship, he never missed a deadline or appointment. This was the first time he was running late and connecting the dots backwards. I realize why the universe made it so. Feeling sorry for myself, I decided to take a stroll along the 3rd Street Promenade, a pedestrian mall in the downtown area of Santa Monica. And as I was walking, I hear a lady's voice calling out to me. Now mind you, there are hundreds of people walking the promenade. I look up, and to my left I see a fortune teller, with tarot card laid out on a makeshift table. I look the fortune teller in the eyes as she signals me to approach. I can't explain why, but something forced me to comply with her request. She tells me that she felt strongly that I need my cards read. Now, I'm extremely skeptical of fortune tellers and the like, and so I said, no, thank you. I'm not interested. She raised her voice and exclaimed, no, I need to give you a reading. I politely declined and started to walk away. She then yells at me, come back, just sign your name so I can read your signature. And if what I say doesn't resonate, you can leave, free of charge. 
So I turned back and signed my name. And in two minutes, she reads my life story. There is no freaking way that she should have known the facts that were spewing out of her mouth. She had my attention. And then she asks to read my cards. So I asked her how much. She says 40 bucks. And I tell her that I don't have cash, only credit cards. Now, mind you, this was before square days. And if I was to purchase something outdoors, it needed to be cash or check, which I had neither. So she says, no problem. Mail me a check. I'll give you the address. Crazy, right? Who does that? Anyway, I agreed. And she handed me the cards to shuffle. As I handed the cards back to her, she laid them on the table. Now, I'm not a card reader, but what I saw was clear as day. She almost didn't have to explain what was in front of me. Think of four quadrants. The top left and right and the bottom right quadrants all had the best cards of the deck. I'm talking about heaven, angels, coins, gold, and whatever. And the lower left quadrant was filled with downward swords and death and skeletons, the devil, right? It was surreal. I was literally having an out-of-body experience. So the fortune teller proceeds to tell me that I am destined for success, that I am here to lead a movement, that I have a higher calling. But she also said that I have a relationship that made this all possible and that she sees great love ahead. Okay, now I'm pissed. She got it all wrong, and I told her. I said, no, you don't understand. I'm about to get a divorce. My wife is leaving me. And she looks me straight in the eyes, and without hesitation, she says, no, you're not. No, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. You don't understand. So so she says, okay, let me make this clear. See those cards in the top right and lower right quadrants? This is your fortune. But the cards in the lower left quadrant is your destiny if you don't stay with your wife. So you have a choice. But if I were you, I would figure out a way to show her your love and dedication and don't let her leave. Now, I'm sure that some of you listening will not believe this story. And why would you? I still don't believe in myself. But crazy events kept happening in my life, this being one of them. I can't explain it. It's just what it is. So I proceed to buy a pack of cigarettes and drive to the beach to unravel what just happened. I was sitting on a large rock, chain smoking for like an hour, my mind racing, trying to figure out what to do. My friend's text disrupted my pity party, and I headed over to meet him. He was shocked but echoed the fortune teller's advice. He asked that I reconsider and do everything I could to save the marriage. So, I headed back and begged Ala to get some couples therapy before we make the final move, to which she agreed. We didn't have any money, nor did we know of any therapist, so in desperation we googled therapist in Los Angeles, and then really called the first therapist on the page. So the therapist picks up the phone and tells us that she's usually booked solid for weeks, but she had a cancellation that afternoon. I won't go into the details in this episode, but she saved our marriage. And after a few months of soul-searching and hard work, we did it. Yuvala was back. Now, I don't know who the fortune teller was on how she got there, but I will be eternally grateful for her guidance. I felt so close to Allah as we were now making these life decisions together as a unit. We decided not to file for bankruptcy and slowly pay off our debts. See, it wasn't fair to leave someone else holding the bag due to our mistakes. I started applying for corporate work and temporarily found a $10 an hour job driving a limo. The owner couldn't understand why I was willing to work for him after running my own company, but 
See, for me, I wanted to send a message to the universe that I was willing to do whatever it takes to succeed, no matter what. Nothing was going to stop me from getting up. The problem is that I was out of the workforce for five years, so I had my cards stacked against me. But each morning, I got up at dawn, searched for opportunities, and submitted resumes, and then put on my suit and drove a 10-hour shift to make $100 for that day. I was right, though. It was challenging to find an opportunity, being out of the workforce for so long and the economy coming out of a recession. But one morning, I received a call from the HR talent recruiter for U.S. Bank, letting me know that there was an opportunity that just came up. Long story short, a couple of weeks later, I was standing at LAX holding a sign to pick up my passenger, and I get a call from my soon-to-be boss. He was letting me know that I got the job, and I was the fastest hire in his 15-year tenure at the bank. And the craziest thing happened. I picked up my last passenger, drove him to his mansion on the cliffs of Malibu, and it was overlooking the ocean. It was beautiful. The gate to his estate opens up as I drive up to his front door. I turn around, I smiled, and I thanked him as I complimented his house. He takes out a $20 bill and hands it over to me. And I told him tips are included in the price and that I wasn't supposed to accept them. He grabs my hand and places the $20 bill in my palm. And he says, Use this to save up so you can purchase a house like this someday. You're a good guy. And then he gets out and walks away. As soon as I left his driveway, I call Ala to tell her the good news. We were screaming at each other with joy because this job, it kept us in the condo. Eventually, it allowed us to pay down our debt and bring back Luvala from the ashes and pivot into a successful direct-to-consumer DTC brand in the process. About a week before my first day at U.S. Bank, I completed my last in-store demo for Luvala. It was an end of an era for me. I was demoing for years, day in and day out. And to tell you the truth, I was relieved that this chapter was closing in my life. And as I headed back home after my demo, I approached the stoplight as it turned red. I put my head down on the steering wheel, and in that split second, I felt like shit. I felt like I let everybody down. My wife, my family, my investors, and myself. I had such big dreams to follow in my dad's footsteps and become an entrepreneur. Never to work for someone again. And here we are. I'm back in the corporate rat race. I even let my dad down. I can't fully explain what happened next, but a surge of energy flowed through my body, and in a split second, I had a vision. I envisioned a world where CPG entrepreneurs have a fighting chance to succeed in retail, that all I have learned not to do can be used to help other founders achieve success, that my mess will become my message. And in that split second, I envisioned what was to become my second company a few years later, Promomash a company that helps brands promote better and sell more products off the shelf so that they don't get discontinued from retail as I did. I envision a software platform like Salesforce, but specifically designed to meet the needs of CPG founders and emerging brands alike. I was instantly high. Now, mind you, this whole thing happened in about 30 seconds as I had my head on the steering wheel waiting for the light to turn green. But as the light turned green, I rushed to call Ala to ask her a question that I dreaded to ask. She picks up the phone and I tell her my vision and how much I believe in it. I then proceed to ask her if she would be okay 
if I started another business? What would you say if your spouse asked you? Would you have it in you to risk it all over again? And do you know what she said? She said, wow, this is a great idea. I really think you have something here. But most of all, I believe in you. Let's do it. Let's go for it. And the rest is history. The sun was shining again. I had hope for the future, and I was ready to become the person I needed to be in order to bring Promomash to life and succeed as a fulfilled person, not just an entrepreneur. And for the next eight years, I followed Tim Ferriss's advice in the four-hour workweek and woke up each morning to practice my two-hour morning routine before heading over to the bank. And after eight to 10-hour days and 12 to 14-hour weekends, I worked on Promomash. I was determined to build an iconic brand in the CPG industry and create a culture and a team that set the example. And I did. In 2012, I met Chris Ambarian, who became my co-founder and, together with a world-class team that we assembled, did just that. We launched Promomash. Over the past few years, we worked with hundreds of the most iconic brands, built a culture like no other and managed a fully remote team in eight time zones worldwide. We were breaking records and growing triple digits year over year. And going into 2020, we were on track to 3x our revenue. After eight years of working 100-hour weeks, paying off our debt, and actually building up a savings account, on February 28, 2000, I called my supervisor at U.S. Bank and told her that I'm giving notice. I was finally free to spread my wings to put into practice all that I've learned. I finally became the man I needed to be and therefore could attract what I was destined to become, just as the fortune teller predicted several years back. My last day at U.S. Bank was March 31st, 2020. And as I left my security blanket behind, I not only entered a new chapter, I also welcomed in my second Black Swan event. It was time to deal with COVID-19, but this time I was prepared. For the past 10 years, I focused on my seven hats, and it surely paid off. The stories of ProMesh are absolutely insane. There are many, and I will cover those in future episodes as I welcome my co-founder, Chris, into the conversation. You definitely don't want to miss those episodes. But I do want to say the following to all the entrepreneurs listening. Some of you might be in a dark place in your life. You might have lost loved ones recently due to COVID or other life events. Or perhaps you're struggling with your significant other. Maybe you'd like to have a better relationship with your kids. Maybe you're experiencing financial difficulty or your business is in trouble and you're maybe having a hard time sleeping at night. Maybe you're giving everything you have to your company and everyone else and you haven't filled your cup in a really long time. Or maybe, just maybe, you lost your connection to the divine or your higher self. Listen, the world is filled with darkness and difficulties. These events are meant to challenge your will, your grit, and determination for greatness. If anything I said so far resonated with you, let this podcast be the tiny light in your life. Trust me, there is always a way out. I've been there. I've been in dark places. And what got me out is hope, belief in myself, mindset, and purpose. And most importantly, consistent action, of course, as well as a strong support system. But there's one more thing that I have to bring up. If you're in the darkest of places, I actually believe that you're hearing me loud and clear right now. But who I'm concerned about 
are those that have not hit rock bottom. Those that are right in the middle. You know who you are. You're not yet successful in life. You're just getting by. But you're also not in tremendous pain. I've also been there. And there is nowhere to go but down. See, in life, you're either growing or dying. And if you're right in that middle lane, you're probably not putting in the extreme effort required to achieve greatness. You might be successful in business, maybe have a great relationship or have a great body, but you're not paying attention to the other hats. And if that's you, please let this podcast be the inspiration you need to get uncomfortable and find that pain inside to get you to the next level. Whoever you are, know that I care, that I respect you for being that 1% crazy. Know that you're not alone. There is a tribe of entrepreneurs who want to help you rise to success in life. Let them be your support system, especially if you don't have one already. One final note, make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave a review. It really goes a long way and I would really appreciate it. And don't forget, sharing is caring. So please take a screenshot of this episode and share it on Facebook, Instagram stories, or Snapchat and tag 7hats. Until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat off to you.